Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Minerva Surgical v. Hollow Logic, certiorari to United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, argued April 21st, 2021, decided June 29th, 2021. Uh, if you'd like to support me, you can find a link in the show notes. In the late 1990s, Saba Trakai invented a device to treat abnormal uterine bleeding. The device, known as the NovaSure system, uses a moisture-permeable applicator head to destroy targeted cells in the uterine lining. Trakai filed a patent application and later assigned the application, along with any future continuation applications, to his company, Novacept Incorporated. The PTO issued a patent for the device. Novacept along with its portfolio of patents and patent applications, was eventually acquired by respondent Holologic. In 2008, Trakai founded petitioner Minerva Surgical Incorporated. There he developed a supposedly improved device to treat abnormal uterine bleeding, called the Minerva Andrometrial Ablation System. The new device uses a moisture impermeable applicator head to remove cells in the uterine lining. The PTO issued a patent, and the FDA approved the device for commercial sale. Meanwhile, Holologic filed a continuation application with the PTO, seeking to add claims to its patent for the Novasure system. Holologic drafted one of its claims to encompass applicator heads generally, without regard to whether they are moisture permeable. The PTO issued the altered patent in 2015, Holologic then sued Minerva for patent infringement. As relevant here, Minerva rejoined that Holologic's patent was invalid because the newly added claim did not match the invention's written description, which addresses applicator heads that are water permeable. In response, Holologic involved the doc or invoked the doctrine of assignor estoppel because Trakai had assigned the original patent application. Holologic argued he and Minerva could not impeach the patent's validity. The district court agreed that the assigner estoppel barred Minerva's invalidity defense. The Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit affirmed in relevant part. Minerva now asked the court to abandon or narrow assigner estoppel. Uh, the Supreme Court held the decision below is vacated and remanded, and Justice Kagan delivered the opinion of the court. Assigner estoppel is well grounded in centuries-old fairness principles, and the Federal Circuit was right to uphold it. But assigner estoppel applies only when the assigner's claim of invalidity contradicts explicit or implicit representations he made in assigning the patent. Courts have long applied the doctrine of assigner estoppel to deal with inconsistent representations about a patent's validity. The doctrine got its start in late 18th century England and crossed the Atlantic about a hundred years later. This court first considered and approved the doctrine in Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing versus Formica Insulation. The court grounded the doctrine in a principle of fairness. If one lawfully conveys to another a patented right, Westinghouse reasoned, fair dealing should prevent him from derogating the title he has assigned. The court made clear, however, that the doctrine has limits. 
Although the assigner cannot assert invalidity in an infringement suit, he can argue about how to construe the patent's claims. The court left for another day the questions about the doctrine's scope, including how it would apply to the assignment of patent applications. The court rejects Minerva's contention that assigner estoppel should be abandoned. Minerva's first argument on that score, that Congress abrogated the doctrine in the Patent Act of 1952, is unpersuasive. Minerva relies on statutory language providing that invalidity of the patent shall be a defense in any action involving infringement. That's um, 35 U.S.C. section 1282B, and it was um, cleaned up a little bit even though they didn't say that. According to Minerva, that language instructs that invalidity must be available as a defense in every action, thus leaving no room for a sign or estoppel. Brief for petitioner, uh, page 17 to 18. But similar language appeared in the patent statute when the court decided Westinghouse. Anyway, Minerva's view is untenable because it would foreclose applying in patent cases a whole host of common law preclusion doctrines, a broad result that would conflict with this court's precedents. See, for example, SCA hygiene products, some random German-looking word, uh, first versus first-quality baby products, and it would subvert congressional design. For Congress, in 1952, legislated against the background of common law adjudicatory principles, including a sign or estoppel. Um, there's a quote from Astoria Federal Savings and Loan Association versus Salimno. The court also rejects Minerva's view that two post-Westinghouse decisions have already interred a signer estoppel. In Scott Paper versus Markellis Manufacturing, the court did nothing more than decline to apply a signer estoppel in a novel and extreme circumstance. The court did not question, indeed it restated the basic principle of fairness, on which the doctrine rests. Um, that's at page 251. In Lear v. Atkins, the court considered and toppled a different patent estoppel doctrine, license estoppel, but did not purport to decide the fate of a signer estoppel. To the contrary, the court stated that the patent holders' at equities in the assignment context were far more compelling than those presented in the typical licensing arrangement. Together, Scott Paper and Lear maintained a signer estoppel, but suggested that the doctrine needed to stay attached to its equitable moorings. Finally, the court rejects Minerva's complaint or er, Minerva's claim that contemporary patent policy, specifically the need to weed out bad patents, supports overthrowing a signer estoppel. A signer estoppel reflects a demand for consistency in dealing with others. When a person sells his patent rights, he makes an, at least, implicit representation to the buyer that the patent at issue is valid. In later raising an invalidity, inval, invalid, invalidity defense, uh, excuse me, the assigner disavows that implied warranty. By saying one thing and then saying another, the assigner wants the profit doubly by gaining both the price of assigning the patent and the continued right to use the invention it covers. That course of conduct by the assigner is unfair dealing, and the need to prevent such unfairness outweighs any loss to the public from leaving an invalidity defense to someone other than the assigner. 
Assigner estoppel comes with limits. It applies only when its underlying principle of fair dealing comes into play. That principle demands consistency in representations about a patent's validity. When an assigner warrants that a patent claim is valid, his later denial of validity <laughs> breaches norms of equitable dealing. But when the assigner has made neither explicit nor implicit representations in conflict with an invalidity defense, then there is no unfairness in its assertion. And so there is no ground for applying assigner estoppel. One example of non-contradiction is when an assignment occurs before an inventor can possibly make a warranty of validity as to specific patent claims. That situation arises in certain employment arrangements when an employee assigns to his employer patent rights in any future inventions he may develop during his employment. A second example is when a later legal development renders irrelevant the warranty given at the time of assignment. Third, and most relevant here, a post-assignment change in patent claims can remove the rationale for applying assigner estoppel. The last situation arises most often when an inventor assigns a patent application rather than an issued patent. There, the assignee may return to the PTO to enlarge the patent's claims. Assuming that the new claims are materially broader than the old ones, the assigner did not warrant to the new claims val validity. And if he made no such representation, then he can challenge the new claims in litigation because there is no inconsistency in his positions. There is no estoppel. The Federal Circuit failed to recognize these boundaries. Minerva argued that estoppel should not apply because it was challenging a claim that was materially broader than the ones Trakai had assigned. The Federal Circuit declined to consider the alleged disparity, deeming irrelevant the question whether Holologic had expanded the assigned claims. But if Holologic's new claim is materially broader than the ones Trakai assigned, then Trakai could not have warranted its validity in making the assignment. And without such a prior inconsistent representation, there is no basis for estoppel. The judgment of the Federal Circuit is therefore vacated, and the case is remanded for the Court of Appeals to address whether Holologic's new claim is materially broader than the ones Trakai assigned. The decision below is vacated and remanded. Justice Kagan delivered the opinion of the Court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, Kav and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Alito filed a dissenting opinion. Justice Barrett filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Thomas and Gorsuch joined. Um, thank you for listening. If I mispronounced somebody's name in this, I apologize. And uh, if you'd like to support the podcast or me, find some links in the show notes.